Hello and welcome to the Goldfish Village podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Mercer, founder of Goldfish Village, where we help people just like you create financial freedom through real estate investing. I'm also a realtor with Premier Chicago Real Estate. Today we have a special guest, special guest on the show. We got Lone Bay. Uh, look <laughs> her up. I hope, am I saying that right? Yep, that's right. Lone Bay. So if you're on <laughs> IG or social media, Look up Long Bay, the hashtag Long Bay or at Long Bay, and you can find it's, Miss. It's um, it's at it's at it's Long Bay. Okay, at, so at it's, it's Long, Long Bay. Bay. So that definitely <laughs> caught my attention. I just had to follow just off of that. <laughs> so, so we got a special guest, uh, Shavana Hunt. She's with um, she's been a lender for I guess the past two years. Is that right? No, I started in 2016, so I'll be going into year five. Oh, wow. So for five years, she's been a lender. Mm -hmm. So she's um, worked in the industry uh, for quite some time now. And she's a very busy woman if you look at her social media. So I really appreciate you taking the time out today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. For sure. So, so Lone Bay, uh, Miss Hunt, uh, can you, you know, uh -oh, my philosophy is if you're going to buy a home, unless you're making a ton of money, don't buy a condo, don't buy a house buy a multi-family that's my philosophy and move in to one of the units because that's how i got started uh in my real estate journey um when you hear me say something like that what do you think i think that that's correct if you know that you're somebody that you want to get into the real estate space like you want to um, you know, build wealth through real estate, then you should buy your multi-unit first if you know that you want to be a landlord. Um, and I say that because it's easier entry getting into the multi-unit first than to buy a single family home and then try to buy a multi-unit after. Okay. So in your experience is if I want to buy, let's say I want to move into a four unit building or three or multi-unit, I want to buy it as my first home versus buying a condo or a single family home. And let's say all things are equal in terms of credit for, for me. I'm looking at these three places. Uh, the multi-unit is fully occupied. The condo uh, obviously isn't, the home isn't. Which one is, is easier to get approved for? Um, it's probably, it depends on how many units the multi-unit is. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because a, one of the barriers to entry for us is having enough money for down payment, closing costs. Because once you get into like three or four units on top of your down payment and closing costs, you also need reserves. Oh, so, reserves. <laughs> right. You need reserves. Right. Oh, so most damn. people are like, oh, I got enough for the down payment. But yeah, if your mortgage payment is $2,000, you need an additional 6000 just to, you know, just to have sitting in the account not including closing costs and down payments. So, uh, but as far as income goes, like actually qualifying as far as debt to income goes, it's easier to qualify for a multi-unit than it is a home, uh, a single family home or a condo. So what, what, when you say reserves, I mean, I know what reserves are, but is there like a calculator that says, okay, if the mortgage is this month or the house is costing this much, this is what you need to have in reserves? Yeah, so it depends on if you're going FHA or conventional. If you're going FHA, three to four units, you're looking at three months reserves. Mm -hmm. If you're going conventional, you're looking at about anywhere from two to six months reserves, but more 
more than likely is six months retailer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. So now, um, but it, with FHA, if you buy a two unit FHA though, you don't need reserves. So that's why I say it depends. Oh wait, is my, can you hear me? Cause I, I think I might have a bad signal. Yeah. Your signal has faded for a second, but it, it can't. Okay. Go. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. No <laughs> I'm not in my usual location, but, um, as I was saying, so with the two unit, you don't need reserves. So that's why I say it kind of depends on what, how many units you're looking at. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So now you mentioned some important, uh, important formula, debt to income ratio. So if you were just to say like a brief checklist of, Hey, before you come see me, your ideal customer, what do they have prepared already? You know, before they come and see you. My ideal customer as far as debt to income goes? Well, debt to income, job history, you know, like what are some things that they kind of, that you need to consider before you even say, hey, I'm about to go purchase a home. Because even as a realtor, <clears throat> people will come to me and say, hey, I want to, I'm thinking about buying a building, you know, and I'll be like, what, you know, have you been approved for anything? Have you met with a mortgage broker? How long have you been on your job? And like, no, I just came to you and was hoping you could show me some stuff. And I'm like, man, okay, we got to back this up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, well, when customers call me, <clears throat> typically they are coming from a realtor first. Uh, but I want you to at least have the minimum credit score. I want you to know what your credit score is before you call me. Mm -hmm. um, we have to have at least a 580 credit score. But as far as the amount saved up, it kind of depends on what you're looking to purchase. But in this market, since we are in a seller's market and it's very competitive, you need to save up as much as possible mm -hmm. because you might have to go over list price in order to win your bids. You might not get seller credits to cover your closing costs. So you really in this market need to save up as much as possible. Wow. So save up as much as possible. Have a good credit score. Does job history come into play at all? Um, job history does come into play, but typically we do want you to have a two-year work history, but not necessarily at the same job. Mm -hmm. We just don't like to see gaps within the last two years. If you are somebody that works two jobs, we want to make sure that you have had two jobs for at least two years. So if, you, if you're somebody that works a lot of different part-time jobs, like that's your thing, we want to see that you have had at least two jobs for two years in order for me to use two jobs. So what about now when you say job history, let's say, you know, I was a doctor and now I'm a lawyer, you know, I mean, in terms of. I don't want to see a gap. No gaps. What about, no gaps. what about if it's a totally different industry? It's okay. It's okay. You just need. Yeah. So the only thing that hurts people though is, commission if you are somebody that is a commission employee or somebody like that works yeah <laughs> so if you're somebody that is a commission employee or somebody that needs overtime you know that works a lot of overtime we need two years of getting overtime or two years of commission so you're not somebody that should jump from job to job to job if you're trying to buy a house okay and what about debt to income ratio can you break down like what that means and why that's important yeah, sure. So debt to income ratio is you take your monthly debt payment. So actual debt on your credit report. What is debt? Debt is money that you borrow and you have to pay it back. So it's not like your light bills or your phone bills, things like that. It's the stuff that actually pops up on your credit report. So credit cards, student loans, um, car notes, mortgages, 
uh, and we take that whatever the monthly payments are, we add up all the monthly payments and we divide it by your gross monthly income. So the income before taxes and it comes up with a ratio. So let's say 10% of your income right now is taken up by debt you already have. Depending on what type of loan we uh, do, let's say we use, go up to half of your income. That means 40% left, you have 40% left of your income for a mortgage payment. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what's a good debt to income ratio? Does that depend on the product? It does depend on the product. Um, it depends on everybody's situation is different. Um, the max that I can do is about 56% of your income, but you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Have you ever met with somebody like, yo, you might not want to buy this? <laughs> there are, I have plenty of customers where I say, you know what, this, I don't think this is a good one for you. <laughs> okay. So, and I mean, I, I'm a professional, so I'm going to give you my honest opinion. And I have maybe lost a few customers over it, but most of my customers know what they're getting into before they call me. So. Oh, that's, that's great. So briefly, give a brief overview of what I could expect if I'm going to see someone that is a, a residential lender, um, like what type of products can I expect? Yes. So we do pretty much everything. Um, FHA, conventional, VA, USDA, renovation. Um, we do it all. So conventional, what conventional is when you're putting down 20%, right? No. Is that right? What's conventional? <laughs> so uh, conventional and FHA are the most popular uh, loan products, but conventional, the main differences between conventional and FHA is the down payment but it depends on what you're purchasing. So for a single family home, you can put as low as 3% down on a conventional loan. Oh, okay. And with FHA, 3.5%. So you can potentially put down less money with conventional than FHA for a single family home. Okay. Where I get 20% from? I made that up. No. A lot of people <laughs> think that, <laughs> a lot of people think you have to put 20% down when they hear conventional um, because of the mortgage insurance. So the other difference between ah. the conventional and the FHA is the mortgage insurance. So typically, anytime you don't put 20% down on a loan, uh, you somebody has to pay mortgage insurance. Sometimes it's you, sometimes it's bank. More than you know, likely is you. But the way that it works, so FHA charges you like two different types of insurances. So FHA charges you a funding fee, which is 1.75% of the loan amount, and they tack that onto the back of your loan. And then they uh, charge you the monthly mortgage insurance as part of your mortgage payment. And that's also based on a percentage. And the reason why they charge so much in mortgage insurance is because they take on more riskier buyers. So the people with the 580 credit scores or people with the higher debt to income. Man, that's so, tough. Yeah. So it, getting charged more for the, to borrow money because you're a I higher mean, risk. Potentially. Potentially it is because... Um, you know, you're riskier and, you know, <laughs> that's where, and, and that's where a professional like Shavana comes in, you know, cause right. you got to break this down to everybody, you know? And then not only that, you want to, uh, you know, go to somebody that is knowledgeable and that wants, you know, you to be in the best product because some people might see you and automatically assume you're riskier and put you in a certain product. So you have to be careful about who you, you mean. They'd be, they be profiling like that. No, they some don't people do. do. They don't do that. <laughs> some people will automatically assume you are riskier. 
So, okay, so that PMI, that's the that basically insurance in case somebody forecloses or something on their home. Right. So it's insurance for the bank, you know, just in case you default. Man, that's petty though. So after you okay, so once you get to that 20% equity mark in your home, does that PMI does it go away? Now with FHA, it stays on. Forever? Oh, but so you gotta, you gotta refinance pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so that's why a lot of people will refinance out of FHA into a conventional oh loan gosh. because conventional, the difference is, yeah, you might have to put, if you don't put 20% down, then yeah, you might have to pay mortgage insurance, but it falls off once you get down to the level it would have been if you put 20% down. Okay, so that's conventional, that's FHA. You mentioned VA. Now, VA. And this is me. I'm not no professional, so I don't judge me when I get these wrong. You can put down 0%, right? Yes, you can put down 0% down. Okay. However, you still have closing costs. <laughs> so a lot of veterans costs. think that they don't have to pay anything. That's not true. You still have closing costs. Now, you might end up not having to pay anything if you have a good realtor that can negotiate seller credits and things like that for you. But you still have closing costs. That's just the down payment. So closing costs are because a lot of times you like, oh, if if my house is a hundred thousand, I put down, I gotta put down five percent. All I gotta bring is five thousand to the table. Is that wrong? So the closing costs will vary by area. Um, like the closing costs in Indiana are typically cheaper than closing costs in Illinois. Uh, but yeah, so you know, you might spend about seven, eight thousand dollars in closing costs because you have closing costs and then you also have your escrow account. So your escrow account. Will include your homeowner's insurance and your taxes. Mm. So your homeowner's insurance, we require 12 months paid at close. And then your taxes, that's a couple of months in, you know, taxes. And depending on where you live, property taxes can be much higher than in other areas. So closing costs will vary depending on the area. Wow. That's good to know because, you know, a lot, even, even when you go on these, when you use these real estate calculators and you calculate your mortgage, people are forgetting a lot of other costs like utilities, maintaining the house. Is is that something that you kind of factor in when, when you guys are giving people loans? No. So we don't factor in utilities or anything that's not real debt. So that type of stuff, we assume you're going to use the other half of your income to pay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so okay. that's why we only go up to a certain ratio. Okay. A certain amount sense. of your income. That makes sense. So let's, let's, so I, I go see you, right? How much, mm-hmm. how much is a pre-approval? Is that a legal document? No, it's not. A <laughs> I get this pre-approval. <laughs> it says 300,000. Is that, is, are, are you guys guaranteeing me that you're going to loan me? No, this? it tells you on a letter that this is not guaranteed. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, cause you know, people get that pre-approval. They had a chest out and they like, oh, yeah, what? no, I'll tell I'm you this. Get... I have, I've had customers that I've ran credit they went and found houses, came back, and then all of a sudden they have a new car note on their credit. Now you don't qualify for this amount anymore. Wow. You went and opened up credit. That this literally that pre-approval is a but I want to but I want to drive and look sharp. Why why can't I yeah, go get no. myself a nice car? Why can't I do that? No. Why, but why is that bad in all seriously? Why why is that not a good best practice to do if I'm trying to purchase a house? Because it affects your debt to income. So remember when we took um, the amount of debt that you currently have, and we divide it by your income. Now you have more debt, so now you have less income to, for, you know, for the house. So right, so now you got this other debt, so it makes it look like, hey, you're not going to be able to pay us back. Right. So is that 
like so when people come and see you is that something you just say like hey don't don't yeah. take out any loans don't take out any more debt yeah don't let you know don't run up your credit cards don't spend all your money don't take all your money out the bank <laughs> uh, don't put big more money in the bank <laughs> don't put large deposits in the bank if it's not traceable um it's a lot of traceable can we talk about that yeah sure let's talk Trace, about traceable, money. traceable because <laughs> i'm one of those individuals like yourself commission only and you know sometimes i might use my card to buy something I might use my business card to buy my some diapers, knowing I should have put it on the, you know, and it's when you getting paid commission only, you know, you can afford it, you know, but the bank needs to know <laughs> you got to make it make sense. So it's these th people called underwriters and they just mean people, you know, <laughs> they mean to, to salespeople like me and you, they, they're mean, you know. <laughs> They, they hold stuff up, but at the end of the day, they are protecting you from yourself and they protecting the bank as well. Um, traceables, what does that mean, traceable? Traceable funds. Can I trace it to the source? So cash deposits typically are not traceable. I don't know where that cash came from. Hmm. Traceable funds are direct deposit. I know that came from your job because it says so on, the, on your bank statement that it came from your job. Um, other traceable funds, checks. If you got a mm. check, okay, typically there is a picture of the check. How far are you, you going back on this stuff? So it depends on what type of loan you do. So FHA is one month and conventional is two months. Got it. Got it. Um, people say that, oh, okay, so traceable. So you say underwriters are, are good people. Okay. I like that. Um, so let's focus on a person that wants to buy a three- to four unit. Now we know that you do the one and the twos, you know, um, but for the purposes of this, I'm trying to, I, I'm going after an individual. I'm trying to convince people, hey, live in that four unit for two years and then get something else. Then repeat that process. If you do that for 10 years, if you do it every, every other year for 10 years, and then you can start, then you start refinancing that first one every other year for 10 years, you'll have some pretty good cash flow. So if somebody buys into this, what type of loan do you think they should consider? So they should consider the loan that they can get. <laughs> right, I know, I know it's hard because every, everybody got a different, different situation. Like I said, the barriers to entry for the three or four units is reserves for most people. Reserves. Um, so FHA will allow three months reserves, which is a lot uh, easier to obtain than um, conventional for a lot of people, which is the six months reserves. Now, you can use uh, retirement accounts for reserves. Um, you can get a gift for your down payment, and then maybe we can use the rest of your funds for reserves. But really the barrier to entry here is having enough funds. I know a lot of people have student loans and things like that, that we have to pay, but so it kind of hurts our cash flow mm -hmm. and how much we can actually save over time. Do you guys make any concessions like, Hey man, my loan to be paid off in two years. Does that make a difference or no? So each, uh, so Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, they all have their own calculations for student loans. So FHA, 
They don't accept deferred, forbearance, income-based repayment plans. They require us to put a payment in there. So it's either 1% or they will accept the extended level repayment plan because that payment plan is not based on your income. It's based on the loan being stretched out over 25 years. Wow. So, oh, you know your stuff. <laughs> I got the right person on here. And you know your stuff. I can I can tell you done had to hurt some feelings in, in your day. And you done made some dreams come true. So yeah. okay, so basically, so the best loan you can get is the one you the ones you can qualify for. All right. So when we say reserves, reserves is, is basically a multiple of what that monthly payment is, right? Correct. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the reserve. So if we pay in two thousand a month we probably should have about $12,000 in reserve, right? So if, if it's if six months. Buying, if, you're, if you're doing the conventional. So yes, okay. if you're buying conventional, then you need $12,000 just for reserves. Okay. And, that you, doesn't and you should want that though. anyway. You, should, you shouldn't feel comfortable buying a place anyway if, um, you know, if, if you don't have reserve because you don't want to be yeah. going into a situation like that. Um, okay, so... Do you offer now? You said something about rehabs loans that you do as well. Yes. Can you yes. over that a little bit? Mm-hmm. So we do uh, FHA, two hundred three k, and then we do conventional home style. What is what so, is what is that? Conventional home style is like it's kind of like the two hundred three k, only it's a uh, each tier like each uh, amount of units that you get is a different uh, down payment amount. Now there's a few other different rules, but it's basically the conventional version of the 203K. But the 203K, if I'm getting this right, so this is when you're buying a home, but you rehabbing the home. Correct. Okay. So we're giving you the funds for the acquisition, the purchase, and for the actual repairs. Okay. And it's based on the after repair value, the after uh, for the appraisal. After repair value or the, the ARV. So... Mm-hmm. When when somebody's buying a, a, a multi-unit, um, do you guys ask for like the rent rolls of those places? Um, we go based off what the appraisal says. Oh, so, so you don't the, even look at the at, at the tenants in there. So the appraiser will get that, we'll have that information. So the appraiser, it'll be on the appraisal. Gotcha. So he'll he'll show what's market and then he'll show what's current, like what the rents are in the building currently. Okay. Okay. See, this is why I like dealing with banks because they not, they're making sure that their investment in you as a borrower is solid. Right. <laughs> you know, not only, want our money back. Right. So not only are they, and you can feel free to add to this. Not only do you have a, a, a qualified person like yourself who can help evaluate a person initially and say, okay, I think we can get this loan done, you know, or you can tell somebody like, Hey, we're not quite there yet. Come back in six months. And so let's say you move forward. Then you have an underwriter that can say, you know, what's this? What's they kind of saying like, yo, where this money come from? How long you been on this job? You know, what's this load? Cause I, they've taken me through the ringer multiple times. Um, <laughs> so, but a part of me appreciated because I do, I'm a father. I got a wife, you know, so I don't want to just, be house poor as as people say um but the appraiser you know is the bank gonna loan you more money than what a home appraises for 
it depends on what type of loan you're doing. So renovation, they will allow it up to a certain point. So, um, or you can make up the difference. So you, um, if you're buying a property and it appraised for like, I don't know, five, $10,000 less, you can bring that difference if you want to, but we're not typically, no, we're not going to give you more than what it's appraised for. And why, why is that? Because you'll be upside down. Upside and down. The property isn't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that's and that's that's smart. And uh, you know, that, that's a good thing. When is it good and when is it bad to refinance? Could do you do refinances too? Yes, I do okay. refinances. When is so, it good and when is it bad to refinance? The good a good time to refinance is in the first couple of years. Why why so? Because you so basically the way that principal and interest works for an installment loan majority of your payments initially are all interest i mean a little bit goes towards the principal but not a whole lot so once you start getting into like year 10 year 15 and then trying to refinance again uh and this is solely just for rate and term refinance now if you're trying to do cash out and take money out like equity for a certain project or something like that that's different mm -hmm. but as far as just the rate and the term um, you want to do that initially. So you're basically just losing the interest payments. You're not starting the loan all over again. Uh, but I have a calculator where I do refinance analysis for my clients. And I can tell you, okay, based on where you are now, if you pay these, if you have closing costs or whatever, um, over time, this is how much it would take you, how, how long it would take you to act, actually start saving money by us lowering this rate, by you actually refinancing. So we don't just throw people in refinances. It actually has to make sense. Mm, I like that. Okay. And it's your job to let people know. So let's say that's a good time. What's a good reason to refinance? So a good reason to refinance is if you are dropping your interest rate, especially a point. Now is a great time to refinance because a lot of the rates are really low. Like these are like all time low rates right now. A lot of people are in the two. So if you had like a 4% rate, it could save you a couple hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So do you do refinances for investment properties too? Like let's say if, if mm -hmm. it is a four unit. Okay. And so you're, you're seeing, you're seeing those rates in the twos as well. So it can be, so people don't know, you can pretty much get whatever rate you want. It just depends By on doing if what? Pay for it or not. By, and what's that called? Buying points. Buying points. Now <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. And then it wasn't until I was like going for loans and then they would say, well, what's important to you? You want to, you want to have a low payment. I'm like, why are you asking me that? Like, of course I want a low payment. And then it turns out that it's this thing called, I didn't learn this until I uh, got my real estate license. It's this thing called discount points. <laughs> so yeah. I was just paying more money. I'm thinking I had this fantastic credit. Like, ha, I got two. <laughs> uh, I paid for that. Can you Oh, what discount points are? Yes. Yeah, so the way that it works. So based on your credit and how much money you put down and, you know, what type of property you're building, you will qualify for a certain rate. So we call that par. Um, that rate is where you don't have to pay anything for that rate. Okay. Mm -hmm. But let's say you want, let's say par for you is you qualify for a three and a half percent rate, but you want to be in the two percent rate. Right. Okay. I well, tell my buddies, I got two percent. <laughs> <laughs> right. You want to tell your friends you got two percent, right? So, um, it might cost you what's called points. So, uh, one point is a percentage of your loan amount. So, 
it might cost you a couple thousand dollars to get that 2% rate, but it's a one-time, it's part of your closing costs. It's a one-time fee. It's part of your closing costs. So it might be worth it to you to pay a couple thousand dollars to save over the next 15, 20, 30 years, hmm. um, you know, in the payment. So it really just depends on how much closing costs funds you have. Okay. Now that makes sense to me. I want to ask another question. What's a bad reason to refinance? Like when people a are- bad reasons to refinance is because- Take a trip? If I want to take a trip. Oh, you want to take a trip to re- and you're going to refinance your house? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's not a good reason to refinance. A good reason to refinance is to possibly pay down other debt, um, to get rid of some debt, to do home improvement projects that will add value to your home. Mm-hmm. Or to take it out and buy some more property. Hmm. What is the difference between what you do and a hard money lender? So I'm a traditional lender. So I'm based, majority of our loans, you know, are government backed. So Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, there are certain, you know, guidelines to what we do um, that are like federally uh, regulated. Whereas hard money loans, you're just going to a private lender and they can make up their own rules. The interest rates are typically higher, um, but, and they look at different things. So they base their, they base their analysis on the deal itself. So, um, well, in most cases, should I say, uh, whereas we base, uh, we base everything on you. So like your credit, your income, your, you know, do you have enough? So we look at income assets, credit. That's, that's, Simple as it gets. Income, income asset. Let me write that down. Income. Income, assets, assets credit. I like Do that. you have a job? Do you have income coming in to cover the, your mortgage payment, your debt to income ratio? Do right. you have the minimum credit score? Do you have enough assets, funds down for your down payment closing costs? Income, assets, credit. Okay. Um, but as far as hard money goes, they might base it on, do you have enough cash <laughs> for... Uh, you know, everything. Do you have enough cash? Do you have enough skin in the game? And what does the actual property do? Does it make enough money to cover, you know, if you're doing buy and hold, does the property, are we, is it a flip? Are we going to make enough money after repair value? What, uh, you know, they base it on actual deal itself. I love it. So yeah, a lot of, you know, asset-based lending, I guess that's another, another way to call it. So what, what, what got you into doing loans? So like I said, um, so my background, I asked straight out of college, I started working for a bank in a rotational program in commercial uh, lending. So in industry lending uh, to, you know, we did $6 million plus. Um, So basically I was kind of like an underwriter, like a junior underwriter, underwriting these deals. Um, And then I graduated and I was supposed to become a commercial loan officer, but I took a step back because I got married and I built a family and I was like, I can't do these hours. So I'm like, I want to do something where I can use my background and still help, you know, people get into a home. So I decided to go over to the mortgage lender side, which was a lot more flexible for what I had going on with my family. And I've been there ever since just educating whoever comes through on how to actually purchase a home. Cause a lot of people, they have never seen anybody own a home. Mm. So in order for us to build up our communities, we need to own buy the blocks. Buy the blocks and take care of the block too. 
and take you know, care of the blocks. Yeah, and keep you're more block. likely to take care of something if you own it. Yeah, and keep the block in your family. You know, right. Um. So, how did you get the name Long Bay? Like, what did what did that so, come from? My realtors just started calling me that. I didn't come up with that name. Oh, okay. <laughs> they just started. Somebody, one realtor, just just started calling me that. Then everybody started calling, me and I just became Long Bay, and I just ran with it. And it stuck. <laughs> it stuck. Has that has that helped at all with um? you um you know generating business well i would say so because people uh they know who long bay is if you say long bay yeah for sure you'll find me that's what's up um how do um well before we close out i want to know what what advice do you have for people that are looking to get into real estate and create financial freedom so if you're looking to get into real estate um, find a, a professional team, find some, find, you know, good professionals. Okay. That know what they're doing that can help you and want to help you. Not everybody wants to help you. So you have to find people that actually want to help you and you need to do a little research. Um, you know, that there might be programs out there, you know, you might want to call around and, you know, make sure that you're getting the best deals out there for you. Um, I would say just do your research and make sure you're getting a good professional team because that really matters. Even if you don't know what you're doing, your team is supposed to help you figure it out. I love it. So um, if somebody were to come to you, are, are you a person that has resources and can point them oh, yeah, in the right direction for this team? Of course. Okay. When you say team, like what are some of the, the core members of a team? So depending on what state you're in. Uh, in Illinois, mm-hmm. you're looking at your loan officer, your real estate agent, your attorney, and then you also need an inspector. Okay. And I, I forgot to ask this question. A gift. Let's yeah. say I'm out of I'm young and out of college. I don't really have much credit, don't really have the longest job history. But let's say my parents been, you know, they retire and they want to help me get on my feet. A gift. Um how can a gift, a cash gift be used to help me purchase a home? So you can get a gift from family. Um, it just, you know, it just has to be from a relative, but you can use those funds for your minimum investments, your uh, down payment, you know, or whatever you need. You can use a gift. And there's no limit or max on that? FHA will a hundred percent gift. Wow. I don't know how that works. Cause wow. then if you're getting hundred percent, why do you need a loan? I don't know, but <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Okay. How do how do people get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to loanbay.com, L-O-A-N-B-A-E.com, or you can give me a phone a call, 708-228-1816, and that's 708-228-1816. And on social media? And It's Loan Bay. Uh, it's Loan Bay on Instagram. It's Loan Bay on Clubhouse. Um, and Facebook, you can just search Shabana Hunt. I love it. Yo, Shivana, thank you so much for coming on the show. I definitely appreciate you taking time. I know you're a busy woman, got the family and all of that. And it's Friday. So I appreciate you taking time out. I've been wanting to connect with you a long time. So again, I'm, I'm Joshua Mercer, founder of Goldfish Village. Uh, please check out all of our episodes on www.goldfishvillage.com. Our goal is to help people become financially free through real estate. And if you're looking for a realtor uh, and you want help selling your home, or find an investment property, you can reach me at www.listwithmercer.com. Thank you so much. Thanks.